Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, uh, verse, we're going to begin with verse 26. The title of my message this morning is The God of nobodies, the God of nobodies. And this morning we're going to be beginning a Christmas series that will take us to Christmas that we've entitled Eyewitnesses. And so what we want to do in the next few weeks is to take some time uh, during this Christmas season and look at the birth of Jesus through the eyes of those who were actually there. There were eyewitnesses of what we are going to be uh, preaching about. And today, I get the honor of preaching about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, you know, Mary is one of those great women of faith in the Bible. She's one of the, the great women of the, in the Bible who has either been overemphasized or she has been downplayed throughout the history of the church. Most of you probably know that the Catholic Church has elevated Mary in a lot of different ways. One of the ways that that they have elevated her and exalted her is by making her a co-redeemer and a co-mediator with Jesus Christ. When the scriptures clearly teach in in, in a lot of different areas, but specifically in 1 Timothy 2.5, that there is one mediator, right? There's only one mediator between God and man. Who is that? Christ. Christ Jesus, right? He's the one that we celebrate. There is no one that is, should be elevated to his level. And if Mary could stand up here this morning and grab that microphone and give her testimony, I have no doubt that she would be grieved in her spirit to see how people have elevated her to a level that she would say, no, 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 listen, I did have a role in salvation. It was to bring the Son of God into this world and to raise him, but I had no role in salvation and paying for the sins of the world. I needed a Savior just like the rest of you. The, the Scriptures is, are clear that there is none righteous, no, not one, but one, and that is Christ the Lord. And so I think Mary, if she was here this morning, she would be grieved. She would say, do not pray to me. Don't worship me. Worship only Jesus. Go to God through Jesus. Now, on the other hand, a lot of Protestants, because of that, have actually been afraid to uh, talk about Mary. And so she's not, instead of over-exalting her, sometimes we can actually avoid her altogether. And that's a tragedy, too, because Mary is one of, in my opinion, she is one of the best examples of what our faith should be like. If you're a Christ follower, she is a great example of what a Christ follower should look like. So she should not be the object of our faith but she should be an example for our faith. And so with uh, that in mind, I want us to move forward in our message this morning. And if you're a note taker, I've got good news for you. I got three juicy, (laughs) gospel-centered points that you can write down. And I'm going to give you the first one before we even get to our text. The first one is that nobodies like God. Nobodies like God. And, you know, God is holy. That means he's set apart from us. Isaiah 55 verse 9 says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
so are my ways. This is God speaking. So are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And, you know, this morning we could spend uh, the rest of this year and next year and into eternity talking about how God is not like us, why he's holy and he's not like us. But one of the ways that I want to point out this morning that God is not like us is that God always speaks the truth. I want you to think about that. God always speaks the truth. Hebrews 6.18 says it is impossible for what? For God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. Think about that. When I was younger in my faith, I used to think, you mean I can do something that God can't do? I can lie. I'm good. I can lie. I can do what God can't do. But actually, lying is a weakness. We lie when we feel in danger, don't we? We lie because we want to cover up things to protect ourselves. When you were young and you got into the cookie jar and you took that cookie and ate it when your mom told you not to and she said, what are you eating? You went, what? Nothing. Because you were afraid of what was going to happen. But God has no weakness. Let me say that again. But God has no weakness. Amen, right? He is almighty. He's all-powerful, and he is threatened by nothing. And when God makes a promise, when he says something, we can rest assured he means it. He can overcome anything, right? Anything in our lives. And, for example, the first time that God makes a promise is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, when he's talking to Adam, and he's talking about all the, the trees in the garden. He says, look, you can eat from all the trees in the, go- in the garden. <laughs> that was my little Asian accent coming out. Willie, Willie want you to know this. In the garden, that the, you can eat from any tree except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree because if you do, you will die, right? He said that. I promise you, if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. If you touch this stove, you're going to get burned, right? And we touch it anyway sometimes. And that's what Adam and Eve, they did not believe God. And basically when they disobeyed God, and anytime that you and I disobey God, you know what we're doing? We're saying, God, you're lying. You are a liar. But the scriptures teach that God cannot lie. So whatever he says is going to be true. And so they, they took of the tree, and we know that there was the fall But God's not like us, is he? Nobody's like God. Because if it was me, I would have come quickly and immediately and brought righteous judgment to to them. But that's not what God did. He gives the first promise of salvation. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. I'm going somewhere with this. The first promise of salvation is found in Genesis 3.15 when he's talking to the serpent. He says, you know what? And I'm going to paraphrase here. He goes, basically, Eve over here... She's going to have an offspring, a descendant, and he's going to come, and you're going to bite his heel, and he's, you're going to cause him to die, but he's going to crush your head. He is going to come and crush your head and redeem or make new or bring forgiveness for that which my children have done. I'm going to send a Savior. And so all the rest of the Old Testament is God bringing about his promise that he made in Genesis 3.15, that a Savior was going to come. And he goes to Abraham, the father of, you remember Father Abraham? Father, let's sing that right now. Susan, can you sing that with me? 
Do you know it? Would y'all like to see Susan sing that? No, okay, I'm not going to do that. I love Susan. She loves me. Let's keep it that way. Father Abraham was the father of the Jews. He was the first father of the Jews, of the Hebrews, right? And so all through the history of the Jews, they're looking for the Messiah. And it takes, y'all know how many years it takes from the garden to to the birth of Jesus? Roughly 4,000 years. But God cannot lie. If he says something, if he promises something, he is going to do it. And that's where we pick up in, in, the chap, in chapter 1 of the book of Luke. Now, Luke was written by a doctor. And you know what? I'm always learning new things. I didn't realize that Luke was a Gentile. Luke was not a Jew. But I just learned that this past studying that Luke was a Gentile who was probably hired by a wealthy official named Theophilus. He was probably hired by him to investigate the life of Jesus. And so it sounds like Theophilus funded him to spend his life going and going to eyewitnesses about Jesus. And so the passage we're going to read is probably straight from, from Mary's mouth to Luke. Okay, and then we get to get it, all right? So we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, all right, 4,000 years promise. Right here it is, okay? You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name what? Jesus means the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will be a king. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For, I love, I love, I need to hear this, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's pray. Father, you are, you are in our midst. Holy Spirit, you are present here. Lord Jesus, you are here. We just need you to reveal yourself to us in a fresh way. 
Help us to believe the promises. Help us to, to see you. Help us to come to you. Help us to, to lay at your feet this morning all that troubles us, knowing that salvation has come and knowing that nothing is impossible with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our narrative this morning begins with the angel Gabriel making a visit to Mary. And, you know, angels are spoken of throughout the entire Bible. There are good and holy angels that love and obey God. And then there's evil and sinister angels that hate God. They're known as demons. They've had, they rebelled against God, and they're led by the evil one, Satan, the one that our Savior has crushed his head, has broken his teeth, right? But they are, there are demons who are under his rule. And the book of Hebrews teaches us that angels are ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those, that's us, who will inherit eternal life. And I want to make it clear that we believe in angels, but, but we've got to be careful that we don't put them in a, do what um, people have done to marry. We don't want to overemphasize them or underemphasize them. We don't want to pray to angels. We don't want to call to angels. We pray to the Lord. But they are sent here to minister and to care for us in ways that oftentimes we don't even know about. And obviously, the angel Gabriel is a good angel, right? He's good, and he appears at least three times in the scriptures, at least, because he's named by the name Gabriel. The first time is in the book of Daniel, when God sends him to Daniel in order to have him explain uh, to Daniel a vision that he's seen. The second time that we see him is actually in the same book that we're in right now, Luke chapter 1. He appears to, does anyone know who he appears to? Zechariah. Everybody say Zechariah. Zechariah, and he scares Zechariah to death. Why? Because angels are mighty, glorious beasts. If one walked in here right now, none of us would be trying to show an, a selfie with him unless you like to show yourself horrified. There is, there's, there's no telling what. I've never seen one except my wife. But, you know, there's no telling. Uh, there's no telling what an... <laughs> What an angel looks like. But he has come to Mary. I don't even know where I'm at anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, he's come to announce the entry of Jesus into the world. And you know what? This part of the narrative makes sense to me, right? If I, I do have a son, but if I had the son of God and I was sending him into the world, I would send a mighty, powerful, faithful, glorious angel to tell the people, hey, my son is coming into the world. But that's as far as it goes with me and my thinking with God, because God is not like me. God has a different mind than I. Nobody's like God. Which leads me to the second gospel truth that I want us to see, and that is that God likes nobodies. So nobody's like God, and God likes Nobodies. Now, when God looks for a mom who will care for his son, he doesn't look for someone who's affluent and, and well-educated and a celebrity. No, he looks for a nobody. He chooses a nobody. That's what Mary was, in the eyes of the world, that is. 
Uh, we know this because, first of all, is because she was from the nobody town of Nazareth. Now, if you'll remember when we were studying the book of John, Nathaniel said, when he heard that Jesus, the Messiah, was from, from Nazareth, he said, can anything good come from Nazareth, right? That's like going, you know, can, can anything good come from Lester? <laughs> right? Can, now, I know it can, because Luke Smith came from there, man. Talk about culture. Talk about diversity. Can anything good come from T.C. Robertson? Hmm. All right. Jared Lenhart came from there, so I'm going to give you all that, all right? But the point is you guys can feel that, right? Can anything good from... And that's what, what Nazareth was. It was, a, it was a podunk town that had no glory about it. I, I, as I was studying, I, I saw that there was, there was estimates between, it had people, the population was around 50 to all the way up to 400. You know, I was thinking to myself, 50 people right. I mean, come on. There's no town that's ever been 50 people or less. So I went on Google and typed in smallest town in USA, and I was wrong, okay? Uh, let's show, you got Buford, population one. And ladies, I think this handsome Asian is uh, available. So I'm not positive, but just letting you know. But he, there's a, there is a city called Buford, population one. So I was like, okay, I was wrong again. There could have been 50 people, uh, but whether it's 50 people or 400, it's, it's important to understand that Nazareth was, is a nobody town. It was filled with peasant farmers who were barely scraping by just to pay their taxes and to put food on their tables. Some of us can relate to that. It's a village of simple nobodies. And God starts there. He goes, I'm starting with this town right here, this village. And then Mary, verse 27, she, she was a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. And Lord willing, we'll look at Joseph next week. And usually, you know, when we think about Mary and we see manger scenes uh, or she's in a play, the, the church play, she's usually in her uh, mid to late 20s or her early 30s, right? But really, the truth about it is, is that she probably was between the ages of 12 and 13. Most Christian uh, 12 and 16. Most Christian historians speculate that Mary was probably around the age of 15 or 16. That was their culture. They would be betrothed at the age of 12 sometimes, have a year, and then be married at 13. We're not exactly sure, but we do know that Mary was an unknown nobody in a nobody town chosen by God. God chose a nobody to give birth to his son, his magnificent son at that. And you know that nobody's like God, and God likes Nobodies. And notice twice in verse 28 and verse 29 that Gabriel tells Mary, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And then in verse 30 he says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And in both instances, that word favor is the same word that we use, grace. 
grace. Now, that's a word I hope that you guys are very familiar with, not just the term, but experiencing the grace of God. We want to be a church that emphasizes grace because that's what God has come to offer us is grace. And grace, grace, what is grace? Grace is favor. Listen to this. Grace is favor given to those who don't deserve it. Okay? If you think you deserve it, it's not grace because you earned it. Now, some people think Mary deserved to be the mother of Jesus. But this is clearly showing that God's like, no, 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 my favor, my grace is upon you. Not because you deserve it, but because I am gracious. And that's, what, that's what's going on in this passage uh, as, as the angel is saying, you're full of grace. And you know what? This morning, if you have put your trust in Jesus this morning, guess what? You're full of grace. Whether you are experiencing it or not is a matter of you just believing that God's grace is upon you through Jesus Christ. But that's what I want to point out in this passage, that Mary is not worthy because she's poor and doesn't have money, or that, that she's beat down. That's not why Mary is worthy. She's worthy because God said, I am gracious, period. That is what grace is. And listen, Reach Life Church, we've got to get this. Listen to me. We have got to get grace if we are going to grow in the right way. God is not looking for talented and gifted individuals who are worthy of his favor. That's where you should say amen, right? He's not looking for for people that are gifted and talented who, who can just be glorious. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't give us talents, but that's not what he's looking for. 1 Corinthians 1.27, look what he's looking for. It says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Now, I'm not talking about run around like a fool, okay? That's not what God's talking about here. But he, he chose that which is foolish in the eyes of the world. God chose what is weak. In the world to shame the strong. You know, I pray that God fills this church with nobodies who know they're nobodies, but who know that God likes nobodies. Amen? Why? Because it makes us dependent on God. We need to be a church that, that can't do on our own what God wants to do through us. That's when we see the glory of God, not the glory of man and make much of what we can do and how impressive we are. And he is not impressed, and I've said this once, I'm going to say it again. God is not impressed by what we can do for him. He wants us to be impressed with, with what he's done for us. So we have nothing to prove to God. That's what grace does for us. We have nothing to prove to God. And this is such good news. Reach Life Church, we have got to get in this, and we've got to stay in the grace of God. And in verse 34, it says, Mary said to the angel, when, when he told her that she was going to have a baby, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, she's not doubting here. Mary is not doubting like Zechariah. Now, if you go earlier in this chapter, that when Gabriel appears to Zechariah, Zechariah basically, who was probably 70 or 80 years old, and his wife was the same age, he says, look, look, this is, it's impossible for me to have a baby or for my wife to have a baby. 
I don't think that's true. He doubted, and so God disciplines him by taking away his voice until John the Baptist is born. But that's not what Mary is doing here. She is, she's saying, I believe you, but how will this be since I don't have the ability? I don't have the ability to make this happen. How will this be? And you know what I love about this? What this teaches us is it's okay to ask questions. It is okay to ask questions. You may have grown up in a tradition that said, just believe. Just, don't, just, just believe. It's, it's in the Bible. Just believe. Well, that's not the tradition our church is. Okay? Now, we do believe the Word of God. Don't get me wrong. But we're, we believe the Word of God is so true that you can ask questions in a right spirit. We want to be a, a church that, that you can ask those questions. Maybe today you're starting to explore who Jesus is. We, we want you to feel the freedom to ask, is, is Jesus really God? Did he really rise from the dead? Was he really born of a virgin? Those types of questions, we're okay with that. And you might be, and especially young people or even older people, you might be in a place where you're like, this, this just doesn't make sense to me. Or I don't know if I believe it. Okay, if that's really where you're at, let's, ask, let's sit down and talk. We're not going to smash you down because we believe that the truth of God is strong enough to convert hearts. We don't have to make you feel guilty and you hide in your questions, okay? So we want to be a church. I love that about Mary, and that's what she's doing here. She asks the question, how is this going to be? Tell me how this will happen. In verse 35, it says, and the angel answered her, and he gives the answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, I'm going to say it again, will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible with God. Nobody's like God. Do you hear what the angel is basically saying to her? He's saying, Mary, God has chosen you to do something he knows you can't do by yourself. Do you hear that? Mary, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to have a baby, but you can't do it by yourself. Why? So that God, through her, would receive glory. Mary is being called to be a vessel that, that the glory of God comes into and then displays the glory of God. Not that we would praise the person, but that we would praise God through the person. And listen, this is, I love her response. She, this, is a, she's, this is why she's such a wonderful example of what a disciple of Jesus should look like. Verse 38, I love what Mary says. She says, behold, I am the servant if you have the King James Version or another version, it might say handmaiden. That is the, the lowest servant possible, the most humble servant. She says, I am the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In other words, this is what Mary's saying. She's saying, I am the servant. You are the master. In other words, you tell me what to do. And I will do it. I'm not coming to you with my plans. I'm not coming. I haven't like 
been in my room and, oh, I want to do this, I want to do this. And I'm going to take it to God now. God, help me to fulfill my plans. No, God came to her and said, this is the plan for your life. And think about it. Up until now, Mary, it says that she was betrothed to, what was his name? Joseph. I know this story really well. Joseph, right? They're, they're going to have a, a fa- you know, this little country wedding. Uh, they're going to have a little house because Joseph was a carpenter. They're, maybe they're going to have a couple kids and, and live out in the country, you know, and come to Reach Life Church, you know, just do things like that. But then Gabriel shows up. He says, hey, I've got a wonderful plan for your life. And she has to make the, the decision whether she will become the servant of the Lord. She's not telling God what to do. She is listening and obeying. But there is a cost in there. Have you ever thought about the cost that Mary had to, to pay? It cost her, I'm in no, da- no doubt, I bet you it cost her her reputation. What was her conversation like to Joseph? Think about that. Hey, baby. I got some news that's unbelievable. <laughs> now, I've got two, two uh, daughters, and I've got sons also, uh, but if my daughters came to me, one of them or both, if my daughter came to me and said, hey, Dad, I made a mistake, I'm pregnant, you know, I want to be honest with you. I would be brokenhearted like all you parents would be. I would be brokenhearted, um, but I would, joy would come into my life if I saw that my daughter was repentant, right? And said, Dad, I, I sinned and, and I messed up. And, you know, joy would come in. I know that the grace of the gospel would come in and, and take that which the locusts have eaten and would restore it. I know there's, there's some of us in this room have experienced this very same thing. There's no shame to those who will repent and come to God and, and receive. That's what we're talking about this, this whole morning is the gospel, right? And I know that we would be excited about the grandbaby and and all that. But if my daughter came to me and said, Dad, I'm pregnant, but I'm a virgin. (laughs) And she would not change her mind. To be honest with you, I don't know what I would do with that. I mean, what would I do here at the church? What would y'all do to me? (laughs) Reputation, right? Mary's reputation. She had to to walk through the rest of her life knowing she did the right thing in front of people who didn't believe it. And they would persecute her. I have no doubt. But not only that, but she also had to watch her son. Mamas, you know what I'm talking about here. Watch her son be persecuted. To grow up being called, you're a bastard's child, right? You don't even know who your daddy is. You know, that's for a father, that's one of the most um, heart-wrenching things to watch my children to be persecuted or picked on by somebody else. I remember one time, several years ago, we were at this uh, gas station, and um, I was inside, and Joshua, I, I can't remember, Joshua was probably 13, 14, he was young, and he, he was trying to open the, keep the, you know how, you, how awkward it can be going through doors, and someone's holding the door for you, but it's really not helping you because it's, it's like, just let me, and so Joshua was trying to help this older man who was, I mean, I don't want to be um, mean, okay? I don't want you to see what I'm really like, but this guy 
was like a, I mean, he was like this big around, right? His whole body. And he, he was older, and he was driving this BMW. He must have had money because he came in, and Joshua was trying to help him. He's like, you know, some people just, and this is the spirit he was in. He's like, some people just, you know, they just uh, try to help, but they really are just getting in the way. And, it was, and, I, and something in me, I mean, I looked at my skin, and it started turning green, okay? This thing rose up in me. And I can't, you know, I'm still here, so obviously I didn't do what I was feeling. But I, I could just tell he wanted to eat gum right then. I was wanting to pick him up and run him through the, the, child, the, uh, the uh, candy rack, which I didn't. I held myself. But I remember getting in the car, and I was literally shaking. Praise God, he with, with kept me from doing what I wanted to do. But parents, you know, Mary had to grow to raise her child watching him be abused by people. It's one thing to take it for yourself, but she had to watch her child. And eventually, she had to watch him get murdered by a hostile and God-hating crowd. And I don't know how much Mary actually understood at this point when the angel's in front of her, but she did have to understand at some point, it's going to cost you something. In order for God's glory to be known, often he must destroy ours, right? That he might be glorified. And again, I love her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to to me according to your word. And so she willingly lays down her life so that Jesus might literally live within her. Isn't that a picture of the gospel? Listen, if you want Jesus to live in you, you got to lay down your life, don't you? Isn't that, that's a wonderful picture of the gospel. And so we see that number one, nobody's like God. Number two, that God likes nobodies. And number three, nobody's like God. Now, when I said that to Kelly, she was like, that does not make any sense. And Boaz came downstairs last night and said, Dad, that doesn't make sense. But Because it's the same number one as number three. But it's not. It's nobody's, instead of putting the word like, put love. Nobody's love God, right? And I didn't put the word love because preachers like to, you know, do that fun thing, you know, where you take three words and do the same thing over and over. That's what we're here. But nobody's like God. And anyone who, has, who has, is following Jesus, Mary included, if they truly lay down their life in the right spirit, there's a reason they do that. It's because they know that God loves nobodies. This is the order that it happens in. We love him, why? Because he first loved us. Mary knew that God somehow she believed the truth about God, that he loved her. And I want to look at verses 4. I'm just going to read the mag. It's called the Magnificat. This is verse, verses 46 all the way down to 55. I'm just going to read what Mary expresses from her heart because she knows that God loves nobodies. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. See that? She sees that God has done great and mighty things. She's not looking at what she's going to do for God. She's looking at what God has done for her and his holy name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel. See, she's remembering the promise. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. He is the God of nobodies. And do you think that Mary ever questioned her decision? I have to think she did. Um, do you think she ever wanted to quit? Do you think Mary ever wondered, is God really in this? I think she did. And just like us, she needed to be reminded that the baby growing in her womb was his proof that he loved her. And that he is the God of nobodies. And nobodies love God because God loves nobodies and treats them like they're somebodies. Causing nobodies to want to love and serve the God who nobodies like. <laughs> Praise be to the God of nobodies.